Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Welcome to Upfront with Darren Bent and me, Sam Matterface. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine as we find out what it takes to be a top flight striker. Into the Peltier, right footed, side footed towards the far post, comes back to Darren Bent, and Darren Bent scores on his debut! We'll discuss their career defining goals, the pressure of staying at the very top of the game, and the feeling of when the ball hits the back of the net. Lovely ball, oh, Bent! His 100th goal! You're listening to Upfront with Darren Bent and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. 216 goals, 10 clubs, 568 games. League Cup winner, Premier League 100 club member, four goals in 13 appearances for England, more goals in the Premier League than Didier Drogba, a club hero at Ipswich and Charlton and famous for wonderful clothing, sparkling personality and failing at Celebrity Mastermind. It's Darren Bent, how are you? Yeah, I was all right until you added that last bit in. (laughs) (laughs) At least I got it right. (laughs) I heard Bobby Zamora talk about you recently and he said, uh, boy, that man could finish. Is that what you were? You were a finisher? Yeah, I would say that. I'd like to to think, I mean, listen, I'm I'm missing my fair share of chances like a lot of people did. Um, But I always knew that even if I did miss a chance, if I get the next one, I w- I'd always pull it away. And it was something, and my coaches will probably attest to this, that I worked on really, really hard day in, day out. Like, you go back to my Ipswich Town days, I'll be out there on the training pitch before training started. I'd obviously train. Then at lunchtime, I'd quickly go and have my dinner, go back outside and do some more in the afternoon. And then, obviously, when I was a lot younger, so I was about 17 years old in the youth team, I'd then go home back to the digs, then shut the training ground. I mean another guy, Darren Ambrose, would go back to the training ground. We'd, we'd kick a ball over the fence, leave the ball in the bush, come back obviously in the evening jump the fence get that ball back out the bush and carry on shooting in the evening so it's something that we worked on for, for years you, and years and years you two came through at a similar sort of time you're both really young players at Ipswich Town everyone talked about the two Darrens were you mates from a very early age well I, he was at Ipswich Town from I think 10 years old so he was there a lot longer than I was and I came quite late I was 14 years old but I think when I first got there we was kind of obviously about unsure about each other but then on the pitch we just clicked I'd make the runs he'd put me he'd find me with scintillating passes and I'd put them away so 
even though at first we maybe weren't as close friends, we ended up living together and becoming best of friends because we, we had the drive off the pitch about who, who was going to get into the first team first, who was going to be more successful in their career. And it just went on and on and on from that. But I always say to people that, and to be fair, I don't probably give him enough credit that he deserves because I, I don't think I'd have been the player or certainly got on the platform that I did if it weren't for Daz because he was one of the only midfield players I played with that if I made a run, he'd find me and his pass I mean his, his range of passing was absolutely brilliant like he went unnoticed and that's why he went to Newcastle so young he went at 17 years old which is scary Were you always a number 9? Were you a number 9 at God Manchester Rovers for example? Yeah I was yeah I mean at God Manchester I wore number 8 and I remember going there and I still speak to I still have conversations with the coach and he always says to me remember your first your first year and a half because I remember my first six games I played uh, I scored 20 goals and he was like wow and then the following season I scored 99 which is like, which is, which is obviously scary. Not bad. Not bad. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm devastated. I didn't get the hundred. And I mean, my last game, I think I scored seven, <laughs> seven in a cup final. So I, I don't know what, how I didn't get to the the magic hundred. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I've always played centre forward. But when I got to Ipswich Town, I played up front a little bit. But we used to play like a four three three, and I was either left or right. And occasionally, mm. I'd play centre forward. Like it was Marcus bent down the middle, Ambrose on the left, me on the right, and it, just about getting them behind. So I played wide a lot. But as I got older, and then Joe Royal took over, I then started playing more and more centre forward. And that's when we used to play a two. So it was me and Shefty Cucci. But it was a typical big man, little man, where he got up to him. I mean, he was unbelievable in the air. He'd head it down, and it was about me finishing it. So that was probably the last time for a sustained period where I got to play in a conventional two up front. Who taught you to be a number nine? It's a difficult one because obviously being at Ipswich Town, I mean, before I got to Ipswich, I was an Ian Wright fan, Arsenal fan, so I'd watch Ian Wright all the time and you'd play for Gore Manchester and your Sunday league club and your Saturday league sides. So I all played centre forward. But then when I got to Ipswich Town, I was privileged enough to watch like David Johnson first and foremost, but then Marcus Stewart. It's Clapham's cross, it's Stewart, it's 3-1 Ipswich! And Suffolk sniffs the Premiership! And I was really close with Marcus Stewart. I mean, he was a really big, mm. big influence on me coming through the, the youth system. And, and even Matty Holland, I know he He's did, got a lot of goals for Ipswich, He's got he? a lot of goals. And even Matty Holland as well. I know he didn't play centre four, but he, it was like him and Marcus Stewart kind of took me under their wing. But Stewie was always helping with me. I remember him coming to me one training session and saying, listen, I've looked at your game and you're finishing. And one aspect you need to work on is your volleying. Like, you're not a very good volleyer. And I, at first, I took it to heart and thought, well, cheers, I'm, I'm just started. But I, I, I understand now why he was saying these things to me because he, he saw the potential and saw how far I could go and, and you know what I mean if I ever saw him now I'd say to Marcus Street oh, thanks for everything you've done for me you really paid a big part in me getting to where I could get to because as I said always giving me little tips doing finishing sessions for me and he was absolutely brilliant as you said scored a lot of goals himself and did you listen to that and although you took it to heart actually start working on your volleying technique as a result of that conversation went, I think I went straight back out there and started working on it because I was so eager to show him that well, I can volley the ball I can volley the ball and to be fair, when when I think about it now, I wasn't a good volleyer of the ball. Like I'd hit it and it'd go anywhere. But it's just that determination and that drive and to, to better myself and show everybody that, well, I am a good volleyer. I am a very, very good finisher. And I think to myself, what I like about Marcus Street in that situation is that he was Ipswich's main man, but I was coming. Do you know what I mean? Like I was a youngster, but the reputation was growing. I was getting training more and more with the first team. I'd won the golden boot in the reserve league. So he knew I was coming, but for him to still take his time out, and still try and help me and make me progress. That shows, I mean, a lot about him because there was a lot of players there who, who were centre forwards who didn't really want to help me. They kind of just turned a blind eye to me. Whereas he wanted to work with me because he obviously saw the potential. In my mind's eye, I can see you darting in behind a defence, checking back, pulling off a defender, making space to create that that opportunity. How important did you feel movement and timing was as a striker and especially in your game? 
Well, it was everything. I mean, I probably have to say the biggest influence when it came to playing centre forward and movement was my dad. He, he played when he was a kid, but he always used to say to me, even from the day I started football to the day I retired, he'd still get on my case about movement because he always used to say to me, Daz, it does not matter who you're playing against, they could be the best defenders in the world. If your movement is good, they can't stop it. And it, it was the right the right call because if I stand still, the best defenders in the world at the time, John Terry's, Rio Ferdinand's, these guys, it's easy for them. They can mark me, they can always see me. But he always said, you need to keep moving them. Just keep moving them around. And eventually, if your movement's good and you keep getting in there, the chances will come. And that's how it kind of progressed, really. Like, my movement was okay at Ipswich. I was more just running in behind at Ipswich Town because it was a bit more conventional then. The kick out over the top, you get in behind, score goals. But when, obviously, the higher up the chain you go, Premier League, Defenders are cleverer, they're quicker, and that's when my movement had to be so precise where if, I'm, if I want to run to the near post, I have to do run to the back post first just to put them off balance and then dart to the near. It can never really be just one movement. Like, if I wanted to get to the near, the near post, I had to go back stick first just to put them on their heels and then dart to the near post. So it was always one rule for them, one run for them, sorry, and one run for myself. Oh, we've had an absolute travesty here. VAR, no handball. How is that not a penalty? I don't know. I don't understand the decision. How would VAR have changed your game, do you think? Probably chalks off about 60% of my goals. <laughs> offside, the offside flag. Whatever. Why do you think that the, is? The offside flag, because the, 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 the way I played the game, I was always, it was like a risk taker. Like, I'm always chancing it. Like, I might be mm. offside six times in a game, but I know there might be two chances, two times where I'm not offside, and they're the two that I remember, and I put them in the back of the net. Let's warm you up with a couple of quick-fire questions just to get a sense of who Darren Bent really is. Um, what is your favourite goal that you scored? The favourite goal I ever scored was probably against Wolves for Derby County. Right towards the end, actually, it was a volley. Over the top for Bent. Oh, what a goal! A thing of beauty from Derby County! Why I like this goal so much is not the only the execution where I absolutely smash it and it flies into the roof of the net. It was because I'd had the same kind of a, a similar but not easier volley about 10 minutes before that and I completely blasted it over the bar. Like it, got, it came in at the back stick and all I had to do was really hit the target and I probably would have scored. But I completely smashed it over the bar. So when that one came over, a lot of other players might have gone, you know what, I missed the first one so let me just get it down under control and maybe get a shot off. But I didn't even think that. As it dropped over my shoulder, I thought I'm just going to smash it again and my technique was right on this occasion and it flew into the top corner. What was the most important goal you scored? Mm, you've really got me there with the most important one. Do you know what, my, for my own personal it's career... It's celebrity mastermind, don't worry. Nah, do you know what, for my own personal career, it was scoring my first goal for England because for so long I'd had caps and caps and caps and hadn't managed to get a goal and it was kind of weighing on my shoulders because as a centre-forward, for me, you're judged on goals and when you play for your country, you've got to be able to show that you can score goals at that level. So I think the first one of that was massive for me, especially in terms of international football because I went on a little run after that. I think I scored in the next three or four internationals after that. So it kind of stood me in good stead for the next international so I think that first international goal was the most important yeah 7th of September 2010 and we'll get to that in more detail I think a little bit later on and what's the weirdest goal you've scored you know what's in my mind here don't you Darren Bent has now scored in his last five games and that is a perfect start for Sunderland just look at the replay by all accounts it looks if like the ball deflected not off a, a, a shin not off a boot but off a balloon <laughs> yeah it's a weird situation isn't it because take us back you're playing for Sunderland you're on the left edge of the area, you hit it towards the goal, it takes a deflection off of a random beach ball which has been thrown in by a member of the crowd and it wrong-foots Pepe Reina and goes in the other corner. First of all, I mean, 
in 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 the world of physics, how on earth does a beach ball divert an actual football? I, I, I could never get my head around that. And second of all, did you know the law at the time? Did you think to yourself, oh, they're going to chalk this off because of a beach ball in, in, interrupting the pitch? Do you know what? When I first scored it and it went in, not one thought crossed my mind like, um, I think it's going to be disallowed. I've never, ever thought that. I just thought to myself, I've scored a goal, brilliant, uh, run off celebrating. Did not even cross my mind. It's only when I saw the rest face and he was panicking a little bit, like at half time, he came up and asked me and said, oh, oh, oh Daz, did you, uh, did it hit the beach ball? And I went, yeah. And he was like, oh, I don't think it should have stood. And he was really panicking. And I think, to be fair, unfortunate, he got demoted the, the following weekend. But to be fair, I kind of sympathised with him because it had never, ever happened before. So, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a real difficult one, but you're right. When I, when I think back to that goal now, like you're right, it could have hit anything else. It could have just, Pepperoni could have saved it. It could have got blocked, but for it to hit the ball at that precise moment, and not only that, completely divert the ball in the opposite corner to where Pepperoni was. I mean, you, <laughs> it's you, mad. You, you, it is mad. You just can't, I couldn't think about it. And even afterwards, I still, like that evening, didn't think, oh, oh, what a weird goal. I just thought it was a goal, like, oh, fair enough, it's another one for, for chalked off for the season. But it's the reaction to everybody else, like it was absolutely everywhere. Who was your favourite strike partner? You know, it, it's a real difficult one, like, because I, I've, I've gone back and forth with this. I mean, I enjoyed playing with Emmy Heskey for a little bit, but we didn't really play together for that long. Kenwin Jones, I played with him for a little bit, but again, mm. it was only, like, spurts here and there because a lot of the time then we'd go 4-5-1 it'd be me up front on my own so when I think back to a proper striking partner it would have to be Shefki Kuchi Kuchi is the target and he's rolled his man Kuchi and that is 3-0 being him had an unbelievable partnership I think one season he scored 21 and I scored 20 or something crazy like that because we were a traditional strike partner like he'd go up and win the header I'd run in behind or even I'd win the header and he'd go in behind do you know what I mean we actually played together as a pair we shot uh, the opposition's back fours down together. We'd work hard, obviously, off the balls, little overs, try a little one-two, try and play off each other. So I'd have to say probably Big Chef. Who was your childhood hero? Who did you look up to when you were growing up as a uh, as a striker? Oh, Ian Wright. Here comes Ian Wright. More celebrations for Wright and for Arsenal. Ian Wright was my absolute hero. I mean, I grew up in uh, Croydon, Thornton Heath. So obviously he was at Crystal Palace at the time and, and when he left to go mm. to Arsenal, that's why I became an Arsenal fan because of him. But I tried to mimic everything that he did. He's finishing, the celebrations. I mean, he was my absolute hero. Like, he could do no wrong in my eyes. He was absolutely fantastic from his movement. And I just loved his story as well because he came onto the scene late. But to score as many goals as he did in such a short space of time, I mean, he was my absolute idol. What manager got the best out of you as a number nine, do you think? Again, it's another tricky one because I mean I'm always real thankful for George Burley. He gave me my um, gave me the debut and believed that I was good enough. Obviously, Alan Kerbishley was massive on my career as well. He, he come and got me from the championship. And what, what what's quite rare is that he, he come and signed me from Ipswich Town um, at the championship or the old Division One as it was called back then. And he just said to me that like I had a conversation with him and I remember thinking, well, is he going to buy me to? You know, I mean, maybe be a good squad player, or not even a squad player, but just someone who could, who could maybe take over from Sean Bartlett and Jonathan Johansson eventually, because he's seen something in me from the future. And he was like, "Well, no, I'm buying you to start from day one playing." So I always think if he didn't give me that opportunity out the box, who knows what could have happened? But he believed in me from day one. And I remember myself though, looking at Charlton's top scorer from the previous season, and I think it was like six goals. And I remember I said to myself, and I had a conversation with my dad about when we was deciding whether to go there. And I said, "Well, Dad, I know I can beat that. I know I've not played in the Premier League much, but I know full well I back my ability to score a lot more than six goals because if my movement's good and I get the opportunities, I'll, I'll back myself to finish majority of chances." So he just seemed to fit perfectly well. And even when I moved to um, Charlton I was in um, like I moved into the, the flat 
like it was like a house kind of flat and I remember the people that owned it they must work for Charlton Athletic and they were big season ticket holders and they remember saying to me oh we love Sean Bartlett but he doesn't score enough goals for us so hopefully you're going to be the man to come in and I remember thinking about that every game that passed I remember thinking well I hope I'm doing all right I hope I'm doing all right and it's just weird the things that you think about but I just backed my ability to um to go there and score so I'd have to probably say Alan Kerbishley just because as I said he gave me that opportunity I didn't have to wait he put me from day one to go in and score goals that's in really interesting, isn't it? So your landlord or landlady were massive Charlton Athletic fans, worked for the club, and they, you know, appreciated the work rate of Sean Bartlett. But they they mentioned that he didn't score enough goals. So in your head, what when you were going on the pitch, when you were playing for Charlton, you were thinking about almost impressing those guys. Honestly, is Sam? Honestly, I swear it was. It's the strangest feeling. He, he he said to me, I can't remember his name. I got there, turned up day one. I just signed for Charlton, and he, him and his wife came out to greet me. Like nice big barn conversion, and they must have lived just across the road. And they just said, "Our." Oh, um no, we're big Sean Bartlett fans here. Hopefully you're going to come and do the business. We love him. I mean, he doesn't score enough goals, but we, we love Sean Bartlett. So hopefully you can come in, score a few goals and you can do the business for us. And honestly, every time I scored a goal, for whatever reason, it might not be straight away or I could be driving him after that game. I'd think about this couple and then I'd see them either that evening or the next morning. They'd be like, great job you're doing there. Fantastic. And I, I think I left, I left after my first season but like I, I don't know why I always think about that it was it was like a little bit of added pressure even though their opinion didn't really carry much weight I just felt like they really typified like what a Charlton Athletic fan was all about Bowditch for Darren Bent only green to beat it's Darren Bent still this can seal the points Darren Bent has sealed the points it's Ipswich leading by two goals in stoppage time for a hanging on to a point crossing the area Darren Bent arises and Darren Bent has put Charlton into the lead Darren Bent Have there been times when, as a striker, your team might have won a game? You, you, they've come away with three points and everybody in the dressing room is sitting there happy. But you're sitting in the corner by your peg and you haven't scored or you've missed a chance and you're still fuming. Or conversely, are, are there times when you've scored maybe twice in a game but your team have drawn or dropped a point in the last minute or they've lost and you're actually sitting in the corner while everybody else is moaning and whinging and, and digging each other out, thinking, I did all right. Well, you know what, Sam? And this is the honest truth, right? Don't let any centre-forward tell you that if a team's won 5-0 and they haven't got one, they're not upset about it because that is the biggest lie anyone could ever tell you because I've sat in dressing rooms before where we might have won 4 or 5 nil, and I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, first and foremost, I'm really, really happy about the result, but I'm absolutely fuming that I've not got one. Because I'm thinking, how I'm thinking to myself, well, hold a second, dear. How can we score five? Especially if you're, especially if you're the main man in that team and you're scoring goals regular. I'm thinking, how how can we score five? And I've not got one. So I'm honestly fuming. I'm happy for my teammates, but personally, I'm fuming. Like I can't really smile. I can't really enjoy it. But also as well, I've had I've had scenarios. I was at Sunderland one time, and uh, we drew with Blackburn two two, and I scored two goals, and it was the hardest but horrible game. We weren't really a lot of quality, and I got two chances, and I managed to bury them both. So we, we go 1-0 up, I score, it goes back to 1-0. I score again, I think it's the winner, we go back to 2-2. Two, two. And if anything, I'm, I'm sitting in the, the change room again and I'm, I'm kind of fuming a little bit because I think well, I've scored two goals and Blackburn were good enough at the time to score two. But I never forget, um, Nairon Nosworthy come up to me after that game and he said, you know what, D, like, I apologise because we know you've done everything you can at the other end of the pitch to win the game for us and we haven't been good enough. So as much as I was fuming, when he come and said that to me, I said, well, you know what, it happens. And I kind of just like 
turned back and it's like, okay, whatever, we just have to go again next week. So it's kind of roles reversed. But as I said, don't let any centre forward tell you that if their team scores five, they're totally happy with it because it's a lie. Do you have to be quite a self-centred character, quite a sort of it's all about me type of blood. I don't want to say selfish because I think that's a, I've said that to other strikers before and I think maybe that's the wrong sort of word. I'm, I'm more sort of, when you go onto the pitch, do you have to concentrate about your role and your role only? Or do you believe that strikers have to be, especially now in the modern game, more altruistic and be team players? Yeah, I think you have to be a little bit more versatile now. So I don't think now you have centre forwards so much that care only about scoring goals. I just don't think that's... Um, the norm anymore. I think you look at people like Firmino, who's an absolutely fantastic striker, holds the ball up really well, brings people into play. And people, but then you look at uh, arcs of Liverpool fans, they say they, would, they wouldn't swap him in, in a heartbeat. They love the way he plays, even though he doesn't score that many goals. They like the way he plays and he, he compliments the other two really, really well. So I think maybe 10, 15 years ago where we we focused on centre-forward scoring the goals, I think because there's so many now forward-type players who score goals from elsewhere, the emphasis is not just on the centre-forward. So now, if you do play centre-forward, you don't have to begin to score 15 to 20 goals every season to, to get the plaudits. I think now you might score 10 goals a season, but have seven assists. And it, people think that's a great season. That, that, what a fantastic season he's had. Now, me being a bit of an old-school striker, I wouldn't be happy with them stats. I, I would rather have 20 goals plus and two assists. You mentioned um, earlier about the sort of partnerships that you had with Chef Kikuki and the way you worked with uh, Marcus Bent in your early career and Darren Ambrose. Did you prefer playing in a three like that when you first started? Did you enjoy being the lone striker or did you like playing in a partnership like you did with Shefki? It's it's it's, cra- it's crazy because you, you're right. I, I go from playing under George Burley and Joe Royal to playing in a kind of a three where it's um, like I play a lot, like, a lot of wide right, wide left. So I, you kind of get used to that role because you do a lot, obviously, tracking up and down the field. But back then I was fit as anything. I could run all day, like sprint all day. So playing wide, it wasn't an issue. I was still getting my fair share of goals. Then when I played in the two with Shefki, I said to myself, you know what? I don't want to play wide anymore. I just want to score goals, play centre forward. I, I love playing this role. The, the emphasis being on me and Big Chef to get the goals. Then when I went to Charlton from Ipswich, it was like four five one. So at first it took a bit of time, it took a bit of time and a bit of getting used to where I'm thinking, well, hold on a second here. I'm having to do a lot more work here because where's as big Shefki might do all the, the heavy lifting, the hustling and bustling, winning the headers, fighting off defenders, and I can feed off his kind of pieces. I was having to do a bit of everything, running behind, hold it up, fight defenders, win the headers. And at first I, I wasn't sure if I was like able enough to do it. But as you go on playing more four five one, and to be fair, Charlton, I hit the ground running. I mean, I had five goals in my first five games, I think, and won the player of the month, Premier League player of the month. So that was the kind of validation I needed that, well, I can do it. And it just kind of went from there. And that was the, that was then was a traditional 4-5-1. It wasn't like the 4-3-3. It was 4-5-1. So five midfield players that kind of just sat in the, the middle of the park. And the wide men would get up and down, but they weren't wingers. They were just right and left midfield. So as it kind of went and progressed, um, I just found myself playing that role. And then I quite enjoyed playing the one up top because I could pretty much do what I pleased, run where I wanted, you know what I mean, take up positions on the pitch where I didn't have to worry about my strike partner being there. But then when you do go back to playing a two like on the off occasions, it's really hard to get used to because then you're running in each other's space. You, you know what I mean? You, you make the same runs. You know what I mean? Someone's always got a sacrifice really for the, the, the good of the other one. So like if there's a cross coming in the box, one of you's always got to break your neck and try and get across the near post. Like you might not score from there, but you're going to take a defender wheel. And sometimes with centre forwards now, they're probably more 
adapting at doing that because they're, as I said, they're a bit more selfless. Like they don't mind sacrificing themselves if someone else scores. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, no one really wants to make that run to the near post unless you could score from there. Those runs, knowing who's going to do it, that communication between partners or if it's you yourself knowing whether to do it at that time or to stick, does that come instinctively? Is it something that you worked on? Is it something that you were coached? Yeah, you kind of work on it and you coach it a little bit because you, you get to coach it in crossing and finishing drills. Um, so you might put one defender in and I was always taught, so if the ball's on the right-hand side and it's, it's progressing down the right-hand side, if I'm the striker that's kind of near post, as the ball goes wide and it's about to come in, I would peel around the back and then Shefki, who was behind me at the back stick already, he would dart to the near post just so we could have a little bit of a crossover so that would just maybe confuse the defenders because if I'm already at that side and I just run to the near post, it's so easy to mark. Because you talk about, I love a midfield player dropping in there, and I love the left-sided centre half dropping in there. So effectively, I'm running out there, but not a lot changes. But the moment if I peel around to the back and Shefki darts to the front, they can't quite see Shefki coming, and they can't see whereabouts I'm going around the back. So it just puts them all on edge, and they've got to worry about the the midfield, another midfield player getting in the box. So we was always taught like whatever side it was, you need to time it and cross over. You can't just run in straight lines because run, when you run in straight lines in any form in the pitch. It's easy to mark. Anyone can see a straight run coming in. But the moment you cross over and you start making them diagonal runs, it becomes really impossible for the um, for the defenders to mark. Obviously, you're talking about making it more difficult for your opposition player, the defender. Did you ever have an opponent who you absolutely hated coming up against? That fixture comes out, you're like, oh no, he's on the team sheet again. I can't deal with him. Someone who got the better of you, someone who you just couldn't work out. And how did you sort of deal with that? Yeah, easy. Led the king. It's Arjen Robin for Chelsea with a great chance. Oh. What a tackle. They talk about great goals. That is a great challenge. Fantastic work from Ledley King. I played against Ledley the first time at Chelwen <laughs> and... Uh, we we lost to them 3-2 and I scored two goals and Ledley was not happy I think it was him and I can't remember the other I think it was Nabet was the centre half um, it was them two together but he was not happy with the way he played like he was absolutely fuming Ledley and I remember I'll never forget he came up to me after the game and he said to me um, well played today I went oh cheers thanks and he said to me because I'd gone off actually I'd gone off after about 70 minutes with like concussion so after I came back out typed it up and went to see that the boys would see it out because I left it it was 2-2 I'd scored two we were 2-0 up as well and I remember Ledley come up to me after the game and just saying, oh, well, like, well played today, but you'll never, ever do that again. And honestly, I never, ever, I don't think I even had a shot against Spurs after that. Like, it was like he, he made it his duty to follow me absolutely everywhere. I'd, I'd make a run into the channel, he was already there. I'd go to win a header, he'd outjump me. I'd go short to try and hold the ball up, he'd nick it in front of me. It was like, honestly, he took it that personally. And I always say that he was by far, for me, the hardest defender I ever played against. He was so, so good. But I never forget that he just said, oh, you'll never ever do that again. And he backed it up. It was like a personal vendetta against you. You'd scored two goals. He took it as an affront to his profession. And that was it for the rest of his career. Whenever he came up against honestly, you, he was like, you're in my pocket, pal. He never, ever gave me a sniff after that. He, honestly, it was like he took it personally. You'd think I'd, I'd abused him or did something like bad to him. He just took it that personally. And honestly, it was it was worse when we used to go to like Wild Art Lane as a, as a Charlton player because it was awful because he used to just follow me everywhere. Like I'd try, I try maybe stick off him and play on the other centre half. And he just, he just seemed to be able to follow me everywhere. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't think without him getting there before me. Still to come on up front with Darren Bent, he explains why he sent out that tweet whilst at Spurs. I wasn't going to let them dictate to where I could go. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to go where I wanted to go, where I'd feel more happy. You're listening to Upfront with Darren Bent on TalkSport. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. He comes back out towards Ben! Darren Ben scores in the final minute of injury time at the end of the game for Sunderland. The thing about being a striker is that you are front and centre of everything, aren't you? You're the man that's on the poster of the club shop. You're on the side of the bus when the new kit gets launched. You're the one on the front of the programme after uh, you've scored a hat-trick or when there's a big game upcoming or there's a derby match about to be played. The attention is quite sort of all-encompassing. Did you relish that attention? Yeah, I loved it. Um, I mean, it's kind of started from quite young, actually. Um, I remember having a picture on the side of the Ipswich Town Stadium, which was absolutely massive, like promoting the new kit. It was like the, it was like the size of the stand. It was a humongous poster, and it kind of started for them. So I remember having that had it at Cholton, obviously scoring all the goals. So I was at the kit launches, pictures everywhere, and you, you kind of get confidence from that because you know you you feel appreciated. It kind of stopped, obviously, at Spurs. Obviously, didn't the, the, my time there? Second season was better than the first one, but still, it, it never quite evolved into what it had been but I remember it was probably kind of Sunderland where it kind of really really grew because like I obviously scored the most amount of goals I'd scored in the Premier League season at Sunderland things were fantastic I remember switching on the Christmas lights in Sunderland like it was it was so nice to just feel appreciated um, but by our fans and when, and when you score goals these things happen do you know what I mean when, when you go in into games and I've always said when I played at Sunderland um, scoring all the goals the fans at times would make you feel like you're walking on water because you could do no wrong you know if you scored a goal they'd be singing your name from start to finish they'd want your autograph they'd want you opening the new shops and it was it was honestly fantastic and even when I went to Villa as well for, for the record fee my first couple of seasons were the same again posters everywhere opening shops new kit launches and stuff but also on the on the flip side of it I remember when it started to turn when Lambert came in at Aston Villa and it kind of quietened down and Menteke came in and done fantastically well and then it started to be him I remember having conversations just thinking like it, it was kind of tough to take for so long I was so used to being the main man scoring all the goals my picture everywhere that when it starts to change it can affect you a little bit and it took a while for me to kind of adapt to that like well hold on a second here I'm not. I'm no longer the main man. So, 
what do I do? And, and I can understand where, where some people might struggle with that. And, and to be fair, it, it was a difficult, difficult period because, as I said, you got, you'd go to like um, end of the season, player of the year, do, like dudes, and you used to all the fans coming up to you going, oh, can we have your autograph? Because you, you're the main man, you get on all the goals. But all of a sudden, when it stops and you're getting only a couple, but everyone's going to other people, listen, it's a real testing time, that is. How did it make you feel? What did you? What, what, how did you react to it? Did you go home? Did you moan to the missus? Did you? Did it affect your game? Did you? Did you think I've got to do more? What, do you know what? what? Or did you think I've got to get out of here? I've got to go somewhere else and start again? No. Do you know what? I think immediately when it happened, I, I started. I messaged my missus straight away and said to her like, "Oh, this is this is tough to take. This is." And she was just like, oh, just don't let it affect you. And I said, no, I'm not going to, obviously, going to keep working hard and try and get over this hump. But it was difficult because, obviously, the moment Benteke kind of took over and done fantastically well when he came to Villa, he was brilliant. It was like there was there was no way back in for me. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was so difficult because he scored a lot of goals in his first season. Then his second season, I went out on loan. I was gone the whole season. And then I came back and it was still all about Benteke so ultimately really he was the it was all about him 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 and, and that's why Villa fans love him because and I, understandably so because he was brilliant for, for Aston Villa but it's, it, honestly it's a tough one like you have to have thick skin from that you need to, to be able to come back from that it's difficult and any striker that who's been in that position where you are the main man and everything's been gone so right for so long you talk about in, international recognition you play for your country and all of a sudden I got an injury so I couldn't get back in the England squad. Then Benteke comes and takes your spot. Then it's obviously all about him. Like it, it sometimes at times can be a lonely place. You moved a few times in your career, didn't you? Um, what considerations did you make when you were making those decisions? Did you speak to the managers and, and talk about how tactically they were going to use you? They were going to play you in a certain position? Did you go to certain places because you were playing with someone? Or was it because someone paid you more money to go somewhere uh, rather than another place? What were the considerations? What was the checklist whenever you were discussing a move? Well, for me, um, Sam, mine was always about getting, trying to get to, to the very, very top. And it was like, how could I get there? So obviously I moved from Ipswich to Charlton, which was champion with Division 1 to the Premier League. So that was the first step. Uh, and then establishing myself in the Premier League, managed to do that. Then obviously the next big one was from Charlton to Spurs. So I'm thinking, right, if I can establish myself on this level, because Spurs had finished fifth twice in a year, to five, twice in a row. So I thought, right, if I can establish myself on that, platform then after Spurs then it can, it can only be the top four like from Spurs if I can succeed there it can only be one of the top four clubs so obviously it didn't work out as well as I wanted it to to Spurs so then I'm, I'm looking at a scenario where I need to leave Spurs because I need to be getting more game time I know Harry didn't really fancy me I know he wanted Defoe there I know he was trying to get Crouchy I know he was trying to get others Pavlichenko was still there so even though I finished top scorer that second season I knew I wasn't really his cup of tea so it was then about right what manager is going to want me to come? What is going to want me to play for them? But wants me to play week in week out and really believes what I can do. Well, that was Steve Bruce, and to, and for me at the time, Sunderland was perfect for me because they needed a centre forward. They were miles away from London. I wanted to get completely away from London. I wanted to go somewhere where it was solely about football, and that's what the North East is. You know, what I mean Newcastle, Sunderland. They love their football and they love their centre forwards. Really, you look about the great centre forwards that have played up there. And that that came into my consideration. You look at Newcastle with Ferdinand, Shearer, Andy Cole. You look at Sunderland, Kevin Phillips, Niall Quinn. So I, I took all these into consideration. So I had to right, I want to go to Sunderland, and then also you know what it's like as a, as a player. When I'm moving to Sunderland, you check, you, you're looking at forums, you're looking at your Twitter, you're seeing what people are saying. And the Sunderland fans were so like, we can't wait to have him. He's going to score goals for us. It was so positive. I just couldn't wait to get there. So then, obviously, I'm there a year and a half. Obviously, top goal scorer. Two years I was there. But all year and a half I was there. Then Villa come calling. At the time, Sunderland are, well, I think we're sixth in the table. But I, I already know that we're kind of overachieving. That we're, we're, we're winning games that we shouldn't be winning. So we beat Manchester City 1-0 but we were somehow scraping through and winning games. 
So we, we, I looked, Aston Villa came in for me and I looked at Aston Villa's squad and they were like fifth or sixth from bottom. But I looked at the squad they had, Stuart Downing, international, Ashley Young, international, Luke Young, international, you know, Petrov, Rio Coca, James Collin, Richard Dunn. And I just said to myself, all they were missing really was a centre forward. Like Gabby Agbonglo had been brilliant for them for, for, for a while. He, he wasn't scoring any goals. So I was just like, right. I had to make a decision quite well. Do I go there? And Gerald Hooley as well wanted me to go there. I had a conversation with him. He wanted me to go there. So I, I just thought, I thought if I can go there and gel with them guys, then there's no telling what could have happened. So I, I made the decision to go to, to Aston Villa. It wasn't about money or anything. It was about the players I was playing with. And that first half a season, I'd say, or second half of the season for Aston Villa was probably the best football I'd actually played personally. I know I'd scored more goals the season before for Sunderland, but as far as the way I played, it was probably better playing with Ashley Young, Stuart Downing. So we ended up finishing ninth. So I thought to myself, right, well, this is the place I want to. I want to be. I love it here. This could be the step I needed to, you know, what I mean, get to the top. Then obviously at the end of that that first season, I'm there. It, they sell Downing, Ashley Young, a lot of the the best players leave. So I'm like, okay, what do we do here? Then I get injured. I get halfway through the season again. That next second season, I'm with um, the managers, Alex McLeish. Things are going really well. Still in the international squad, playing well. I'd had 12 Premier League goals by Christmas, so I knew things were going well. Get a big injury, missed the World Cup. I think it was the World Cup at the end of that year, um, and I don't play again for the rest of the season. Lambert comes in. Uh, I start the season, but we don't start well. He makes me captain, and then Benteke comes in, starts firing. I can never really get back in at Aston Villa. I go on loan to Fulham the next season do okay, not not great, come back to Aston Villa and then end up going on, on loan to Brighton and Derby. So obviously, they weren't going to let me go to another Premier League club, so I had to go to the Championship, which was Derby County at the time. Do really well in half a season, scored 15 goals, I think it was, in half a season. Derby County 1, Rotherham United nil, and just as you join us, Darren Bent has slotted the ball home for a second for Derby County. So even then, I've dropped to the Championship, but I'm thinking, right, I've got 15 goals in a short, short space of time. So I remember saying to myself, right, I've done well in the Championship, so people can still see I can do the fundamental score goals, play really well. Hopefully somebody will, from the Premier League will come in and come and get me, or Derby ourselves can get promoted. And for whatever reason, the last couple of years of my career, it was like I was chasing to get back to the Premier League, and whatever happened, I just couldn't get back there. I remember we played um, Leicester City in the in the Cup, FA Cup, score against uh, Leicester, played really, really well. It's bent with a header, and he glances it past Michael, who stretches but can't reach. And I was hoping that that's going to show people that I can still play in the Premier League. We played West Brom in the next season, play really well against them, score against them. Five minutes into the second half, and it's West Bromwich Albion 1, Derby County 1, and what a strike from Darren Bent. It's a solo effort. Darren Bent's the man for Derby County. So again, I'm thinking, well, Obviously, people can still see that I can still play in the Premier League. I can still score goals. So hopefully, someone will come and get me and give me an opportunity. But for whatever reason, Sam, it just never materialised, and I never got back there. Is that a big regret for you that you never got back? You know, oh, got it. After scoring those goals, after willing to sort of drop down to show how good you were, do you feel that Aston Villa sort of killed you in a sense? A little bit, yeah. The, the whole Lambert era killed me in, in a such. Do you know what I mean? But you're right. It, it, it did kill me. I mean, listen, like partly you're frustrated at yourself because you kind of let it happen. But as I said, when I dropped down to the champion, I was championship. I was always striving to get back to the Premier League because that's where I felt I I could really get back in and score goals. I, I still believe that I could have done that. But it, it is one of them things that you look back and think, well, how was I never given that opportunity again? And it does something that does burn me. And I think, oh, if I could have just had another crack at it, do you know what I mean? Because I feel like if I'd had another four or five years in the Premier League, there would have been more goals for me. But for whatever reason, it just didn't materialise. And as I said, that's one thing I always look back and think, oh, got it, that I'd never had the opportunity to do it again. Do you ever look back and think to yourself, I should never have sent that tweet? The one where you say, 
Do I want to go to Hull City? No. Do I want to go to Stoke? No. Do I want to go to Sunderland? Yes. So stop around, Levy. I don't, I don't regret it because they were dragging their heels and I kind of felt like they were trying to railroad me to go to Stoke or Hull. I think because they were, uh, I think they at the time they were prepared to pay the money that Levy, Daniel Levy wanted. So I kind of felt like they got Tony Pulis to ring me. They got very, I can't remember who the whole manager was at the time. It might have been Phil Brown, maybe. They got these guys to ring me to tell me how good like Stoke and Hull were. And listen, I'm sure they were great football clubs, but I only wanted to go to, I had a conversation with Steve Bruce and he asked, he said to me, Darren, I want to ask you one question. Do you want to come to Sunderland and score goals for us and play up here because we want you up here? And from when I heard that, I said, yeah. Definitely, I want to go up there. And that goes into, as I said, the positive feedback I had from the, the Sunderland fans before I even got there. So I, it was because Spurs were just mucking around and trying to railroad me into going to, to Stoke. So that's why I sent the tweet out. And yeah, when I think about it now, I shouldn't have done it. But do I regret doing it? No. Did you do it because that is the type of personality you are? You're not going to take as a striker, as a, a as a man. And, and I suppose these two things do sort of like tie in, you know, being that main man, that goal getter, that leading leading light at the front of the team. You've got the forceful personality, the confidence to be able to articulate your thoughts and feelings and you're not going to be taken for a mug. Yeah, of course. Like I was never going to let someone take the mick out of me. But also as well, I, I, and this is how I've always thought, like I knew wherever I went after Spurs, if I was given more game time, I'd score more goals. So if, I mean, I think I've got 17 goals the second season for Spurs, but I didn't play that many games. So I was thinking to myself, well, if I play a full season, I know I, know I can get a, a load of more goals, which is what how it worked out. I ended up getting 24, 25 mm. the second season. So I knew that was the case, but I wasn't going to let them dictate to where I could go. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to go where I wanted to go where I'd feel more happy. And as I said, from the day one, I got to Sunderland into the North East. I loved every minute of it. You did score a lot of goals in that second season for, for Spurs, but you, you did miss a chance as well, didn't you? Mm. Um, did you really ask to leave as soon as Harry Redknapp said when she missed against Portsmouth for Spurs, even my missus could have scored that? No, I mean, the people have said this before. I, I, like, I think my agent called him just to say, like, basically, what is he playing at? I went to see him as well to say, like, well, like why have you said that? But I never demanded that I leave, do you know what I mean? Like, I, it, it, was never, it was never that case, but... Even even up until but before that point, did it annoy you? Did it? Did, did, how did he deal with that fallout? Because that must have been a. It's not a great. It's not a great look. I mean, I know Harry. You know Harry. You know that he sometimes does just shoot off from the hip, and he doesn't think about it carefully. And and there are always situations with managers and players like that. But did did it hurt you? Yeah, it hurt at the time because it was. I mean, you you, you think about it then. That it was fresh then. I mean, and we're how many years is it now? Maybe what is it? 12, 13 years later, and you're still asking 11. me about. Do you know what I mean? You're still asking me about it now. So at the time it did hurt, but at the same time it was a case of right. Okay, well I'm gonna have to show him, and I managed to score. Obviously, I think I scored two the weekend afterwards. But it's just you're right, it's Harry. And I mean, we've we've spoke about it. We've we've laughed about it. Um, obviously, when I've seen him after that event, do you know what I mean? But at the time it was just a case of like I don't know why I said that, but that that all rolls into the feeling of as I said, I know he he didn't really fancy me as a player, and he wanted to get. I think the phone might have been there already, but he, I know he wanted to get Crouchy. He wanted to get other options in there. So I, and I fully understood that. So I can kind of like grasp that that he he was always going to say something like that, but not even something like that. But I just knew that he he didn't really fancy me and didn't really want me there. So it was only a matter of time before I left that football club anyway. Rooney. Oh, slides a lovely pass here to Ashley Young and Darren Bent. Can't miss from there. Walker looking to get past Paulson. Theo Walcott able to play it across. It's the equaliser. Darren Bent. What a start to this friendly. 
Let's talk then more in detail about England because it must have been an amazing experience, right? Putting that England shirt on for the first time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I loved it. Every minute of it. I mean, but unfortunately, you think to yourself, I should have had more caps. And I do believe that with the amount of goals I scored, I should have had more caps. But it's still the most special feeling in the world. And, and I always say to young players now, because um, I, know, I know at a time when you get in, in the international squad, that it was long, it was like 10 days, it was long, there's not a lot to do and you get a bit bored and, and that used to maybe send players who didn't want to go there because they had enough, they couldn't, they didn't want to be away from home for 10 days. But to be fair, I will say to young players now, if you get that wow. opportunity to play for your country, do it because it is honestly, when, when you no longer have it, you miss it like crazy and I was the same. When I couldn't no longer get back into that England squad, it really hurt because I, I, love, I, I cherish every moment of it and wish I could have cherished it even more. Yeah, because you, you had that experience where you didn't get into the World Cup squad in 2010 and then just after that sort of what was a terrible World Cup for England, you were back in the, the, the team uh, against Switzerland, 7th of September 2010. You score your first goal. Have you have you got a, a tattoo of that or something? Or have you got a memorabilia for that? Because that must have been you know almost like a redemption moment, being left out by Capello in 2010 to go to South Africa, but then coming straight back and getting on the score sheet almost immediately. Remember, it happened to me before that because it happened to me in 2005 as well. Well, I missed out on that one. I scored. I think I was the highest scoring Englishman, twenty-two goals, and I didn't. And again, didn't go to that World Cup. Mm. So when it happened the second time under Capello, I knew how to dealt with it because I kind of knew it was coming. I don't know why, I just felt it. But to be fair to Fabio, after that World Cup, as you said there, he said to me, "Oh, listen, Darren, like I made a mistake. I should have taken you, but listen, from now on, you're going to be my centre forward. So just keep playing well for your club, keep scoring goals, and you know, what I mean, you, you are my centre forward." And he never went back on that. Like as you said, I scored the goal, my first goal, and then he started me all the other games after that until I got injured against Wigan and obviously missed the rest of the season. But he he realised that he should have taken me, and it was just refreshing to hear an England manager say that he's made a mistake. Uh, that that sort of must also stick in your craw because then you've you've got the run. You're the, you're the striker. You're the man in possession of the shirt. It's 2010-11. You're the top scorer in English uh, football uh, from an English point of view. You're cruising towards the Euros in 2012. Capello leaves, but you've already got injured against Wigan. You must have thought you were a dead cert for 2012, but obviously because of the injury and subsequent injuries, you, you, you couldn't get into Roy Hodgson's plans. Yeah, it was a killer because I think I scored in the last game as well when we qualified, which was against 2-2 against, is it Montenegro, was it? Ashley Young and Darren Bent can't miss from there. I, I remember scor- mm. I scored in that game as well. So obviously I, I knew full well that if, if I'd stayed fit the rest of that season, as I said, even my club, club form for, for Villa, like I, I, I had 12 goals already before Christmas, so I knew I was in good form. As well as I think I'd had three and three in the international stage as well, so I, I knew I was I was a cert to go this time. But then when the injury comes, you just start thinking to yourself, well, maybe it just wasn't written in the stars for me, and and that's why I always think to myself, like, there's no point in me thinking about oh, what would have been, but unfortunately, it just wasn't in my stars, and yeah, it's gutting, but not really what I could have done. You're a really positive person, aren't you? Because you, you, I mean, you've achieved so much. You're a football league cup winner. You've played multiple games in the Premier League. You're a part of the 100 clubs. You've got more goals in the Premier League than Didier Drogba. Um, but you, you look back, sort of in a sort of almost wistful way. But you, you're still quite sort of satisfied, are you, with 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 your career? You're you're happy with it because I mean, you, I mean, so I suppose you should be. Yeah, you are, but you always feel you can achieve more. Like, and I know every, even some of the players who've won absolutely everything and played at the highest level for a long time will feel they could achieve more. But I, I always think to myself that the opportunity just wasn't there for me. Like, and I, I look back to certain situ- scenarios. I might have gone to a World Cup with England, done really well, and who knows what could have, ha- have happened after that. But again, 
it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't written for me, but I still look back, I've still got a lot of memorabilia and shirts and pictures and things like that, and obviously when my kids look at the, the wall there, do you know what I mean, they're extremely proud of daddy, but at the same time, as players, you always feel like you could achieve more, and I, I certainly feel like I could have done the same. Now, at the end of these interviews, we've been testing our number nines. We've called it the, the perfect hat-trick. And now, you failed miserably on Celebrity Mastermind with your specialist subject, Cheers, James Bond. Right? <laughs> um, that's all right, no problem. But, so, so if we change the subject to uh, Special Agent Bent, do, do, do you think you'll be able to answer three questions about yourself? Uh, I'd like to think so, yeah. Yeah, but you'd like to think that you'd be able to go on Celebrity Mastermind and answer more than yeah. one correct answer <laughs> about your specialist subject. So, you know... <laughs> We're, 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 I'm not 100% confident myself, to be honest with <laughs> no, you. Neither am I, honestly. Well, let's have got to give it a go. <laughs> I'm not as intimidating as John Humphreys. It's okay. Um, in November 2001, good month for you, by the way, you made your first team debut for Ipswich Town. Against which opponent and what was the score? My Premier League debut? No, no, no. First team debut. All right, I'm going to say it was against Helsingborg in the UEFA Cup. And it we, was. And Do you know I, the score? And I think we won 2 0 or 1 0. 3 1. Close. Yeah, I'm going to give you it. Because, I mean, to remember Helsingborgs is great. So you, yeah. you get half a point for that. Thank you. <laughs> With 25 goals in 40 games in all competition, 24 of them in the Premier League, by the way, what season was your best scoring season and for whom? Well, it was for Sunderland. Did you say what year did you say? I said, what season, yeah? 2009-2010. Correct. Ooh. How did you not go to the World Cup after that? That's, That's exactly unbelievable. Exactly what I'm asking. Uh, <laughs> this one might give me a bit of an indication and the audience about your character, right? Because everyone remembers their first goal for their country. Mm-hmm. Everyone remembers their first goal full stop. But what about your second goal? This is your last question, right? So you, this is a chance to get two and a half out of three. This would be pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Your second goal was a simple tap-in at the far post against Denmark in the Parken Stadium. Yep. The year was 2011. It was February. It was cold. <laughs> Who provided the assist? Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott able to play it across. It's the equaliser. Darren Bent. Oh, he smashed it. Yeah. Smashed it out <laughs> of the park. That was fantastic. They didn't even take a beat there. You knew. You re- can you still remember the goal? Is that what it is? You can remember every single one of those yeah, international goals. I, I, yeah, I can remember the, that, that one. I can remember the one against Wales. That's the one I, I probably like the most because it was just quite hostile, full house at Millennium Stadium. I mean, I always think about that one. I've got that pictures in my, in my gym at home, that big black picture when I scored and celebrated. I can remember that one. Brilliant. Listen, thank you very much for your time. No it's been superb to get an insight into your career. I've loved it and I'm sure the audience have as well. And uh, it's been a privilege to, to look back on, on such an illustrious career. Keep wearing the, uh, the, the, the banging clothes. And uh, <laughs> next time you go on a quiz show, make sure you do a little bit more research. Uh, yeah, I did. I'll make sure I did that for you. You've been listening to Upfront with Darren Bent and me, Sam Matterface. And if you missed any of the show or just want to catch up on previous episodes, then you can listen on the TalkSport app via the Game Day podcast feed. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. 
play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.